Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Forever Dog Hi everyone, I'm Janie Stoller. Welcome to Relatively Healthy. This is a podcast where we go in. And today I'm very excited about the show because I have a guest named Rachel Cayley who reached out to me because she has endometriosis, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of, or maybe they're somewhat familiar with as a term. For me, I'd heard of it, but I had no idea what it is. So before we get into the conversation, I'd love to set up a bit about what endometriosis is and the rabbit hole I went down on uh, women's pain. So here we go. So endometriosis is a disorder in which tissues that normally line the inside of the uterus grow outside the uterus. So most often that'll be in the ovaries and the fallopian tubes and anywhere in that vicinity. And that can cause infertility. It can cause pain. It can cause a lot of issues. But sometimes also that tissue grows outside of that region. And I read a story about a woman who got it on her lung and her lung collapsed, or you can get it like on your brain and shit. I mean, this is crazy. So a lot of women are affected by this. And uh, when I started researching it, I got really into how long there's been recorded history of women's pain and all the crazy ways it's been approached until really recently. So for example, uh, back in the time of Plato, um, there was talk with his uh, dialogue, I'm not going to pronounce this right, Timaeus, which compared a woman's uterus to a living creature that wanders through a woman's body, quote unquote, blocking passages, obstructing breathing and causing disease. And the concept of a pathological wandering wound, womb, womb, was later viewed as the source of hysteria, which is a, a cognate of the Greek word for uterus. So there's history from all the way back in ancient Greece of not only women having pain in their uterus, but uh, being judged for it, which won't happen here on this podcast. And then in the 16th century, women were diagnosed with a suffocated womb. And then in the 17th century, women with pelvic pain were diagnosed as being straight up possessed by demons. And then as if that's not bad enough, women's gynecological shit started to get diagnosed as psychological. So then in the 18th century, they started sending women away to mental institutions when they had pain. And so, you know, we're talking like a long history of women being fucked over for having painful uteruses, um, you know, 2,000 years. Um, so then, I mean, there's a history we could get into in another pod about like a lot of stories about how it was always mistreated and always uh, had women dying over it. Like they had 
medical professionals clawing out women's uteruses with their fingernails. We don't have to get into it. But moving along, in the 1950s, the advent of birth control really helped with women's endometriosis symptoms because a lot of times when you get on a hormonal birth control, it helps control the pain. But there is still an average of seven years uh, between the onset of symptom and diagnosis for endometriosis. So I just want to set that up. There's like a really long history that I just ruined about um, women with endometriosis not being believed for their pain or being mistreated. And it's still an issue today. So I wanted to set that up. And also, I just want to shout out because like the more I talk about vaginas with people and all this stuff around that area, the more I realize there's tons and tons of women that are just constantly suffering and figuring their shit out all the time. And I want you to reach out to me if this is something that you've experienced and you want to come on the show and talk about it. Because when you read stuff like this and you see how little women are believed, you want a podcast, right? Isn't that the answer? I think so. Okay, so here's our conversation. Okay, great. Uh, Right now, I'm joined by such a wonderful guest. Today, we are chatting with Rachel Cayley, who writes for ClickHole. She's a comedian. She's an educator. She's a wonderful woman. And she has endometriosis. Hello, Rachel. Hello. How are you? I'm okay. I actually, I have my period right now. Oh, my God. I got it yesterday. So I'm uh, fully in character for this. <laughs> good, good. Okay, great. So we're just going to sort of like live chat your period and what's going on at every moment, every cramp, Incredible. every sensation. I'm on my period too. So I just want you to oh. know that podcast guest and host will sync up. That's sort of one of those <laughs> things that happens uh, with every new moon. Um, great. So just to start things out, let's talk about your journey of realizing you had endometriosis. When did you know something wasn't right? It's hard. So I got my period really young. I got it like a month after I turned 10. Um, and I remember like feeling really bad cramps the first time I had it. And no, my family was like, Oh my God, like we were not expecting this. So it was kind of just like from the get go sort of weird. And I feel like no one really knew how to talk about it with me. Cause mm-hmm. like no one was prepared for it. Uh, and I've just had horrible cramps my whole life. And then what really, I mean, I also could never put in a tampon because it hurt too much to put it in. Mm-hmm. And my friends would always make fun of me. They'd be like, "What do you, why can't, like, what do you mean you can't put in a tampon? Like, it hurts a little, but it's fine. And I was like, no, it, like, really, really hurts. And they were like, you're just being, like, a baby or whatever. So about a year ago, I started, I was like, someone needs to figure out what the fuck is going on because this is, like, this can't be normal. Just a year ago? Yeah. So you've had this whole time from age 10 to a year ago of having really bad pain? Yeah, really bad uh, pain, cramps, really bad. Like the period itself is like really heavy. Mm. I mean, I don't don't know. I think it's really heavy. I, this is gross, but I have to, I have to. It's, uh, I like... Basically, it's like shitting out of my vagina. Like oh these my chunks God. come out like every, truly every 20 minutes. It's wow. nuts. Wow. And I don't think that's normal. Well, that's interesting. I, you're even like, we don't even know what normal is. I mean, I it, know. and I'm glad you're saying this because I do think 
as taboo as it is to talk about what your period looks like, if we all talked about it more, then I feel like more people would be properly diagnosed with things and there'd be less concern about, am I normal? Because that's where that comes from is like, we don't know. We don't talk about it. Right. So, yeah. So I'm sorry. I like skipped back and ahead, but you were diagnosed (laughs) last year. Yeah. And it wasn't even what's even. Well, last year I was like convinced I had all of these horrible things and was just like in a really bad mental space. And my gynecologist, she did like a internal sonogram and it hurt so much. Mm. So anything penetrative really hurts, which is connected, but also a separate issue, um, which I can talk about later. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she was like, yeah, there's like nothing. You don't have any cysts or anything. So I don't really know what to tell you. So my gynecologist didn't say anything. She was like, yeah, I think you just have bad periods. And I was like, all right. But then I was having like acid reflux. So I went to this GI doctor that my mom saw once. who's this like 65 year old white guy. And he was like, I think your reflux is fine, but have you ever heard of endometriosis? And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah. Um, Padma Lakshmi has it. It took her like 10 years and he launched into this whole thing about her. Uh, And then he was like, the only way to diagnose this is to have like a very invasive surgery. What? Yeah, they can't, they can't, imaging will not show it. They have to like cut you open and like look at your uterus and like biopsy it. Wow. You'd think that from the symptoms and how common it is, that they'd be able to diagnose from just description of these horrible cramps and the way your period feels and looks and the pain around it. Right. So I chose not to undergo the surgery, but instead pretty much just went to a million doctors to rule everything else Mm -hmm. out Mm -hmm. and then found a new gynecologist. And I was like, I have had like a million tests. I really think it's endometriosis. And she was like, yeah, I think so too. Wow. Um, yeah, so that was, I mean, I don't even think that last gynecologist, that last gynecology appointment was in like, I want to say like February or March. Wow. So that was like the first time someone was like affirmatively like, yes, it can't be anything else. That's so crazy. I I have had similar experiences with doctors not, like you go in with something and they say either it's fine, you know, heavy period being an example, or I don't know. And walking out and going like, okay, well, I'm just going to go to another doctor. And it's so, it gets extremely expensive and really frustrating because you just want to live a normal life. And it's almost like the barrier to just understand your own body is so high. It's insurmountable. It's crazy. I mean, last year that I also had this like neurological thing going on that I didn't know what it was. And I, all these doctors were like, yeah, we don't know. It's probably stress. Mm. And I was like, I guess. And like, I definitely had something to do with it. But I also had like, a an injury that just like no one could confirm. So between the gynecologist and GI and neurologist, my I was under, I was under my own insurance at the time. Um, and I was audited by the IRS for how much money I spent because I claimed wow. a ton of medical bills. And yeah. they were like, there's no way. And I was <sighs> like, honey, just you wait. Yeah, I have the receipts to show this mm-hmm. was all very real. Yeah. Um, and you, and when you went to the GI doctor, was it because the endometriosis symptoms were, some of them felt like they could be 
uh, abdominal abdominal okay yeah. yeah so yeah it was a combination of reflux and just like feeling really bad pain sort of in my lower abdomen and I got like a sonogram and all this all these tests and like had to try all these diets and it was just really nuts it sounds crazy um, yeah it was it was really a nightmare did you have any in the in the interim before that doctor mentioned endometriosis did you have friends or family or anybody who mentioned that they had had something similar oh i literally never i i mean i have i don't have a problem describing my period and pain to people like close to me so i actually have like i feel like i've tried to create a pretty good frame of reference for myself and everyone has told me that they like I always describe the trunks because that's really uh, the visual I like to start with. And people are like, that's disgusting. And I don't have that. And I don't know why you do. <laughs> okay. So like, this is your space to talk about the chunks. Like how big are they? And they're they like, okay. It's actually, so I have small hands, but if I like touch my, uh, the t- tip of my index finger to the tip of my thumb, and there's kind of like a, the size of like a dollar coin, if not bigger, honestly, it's like that big. I mean, it feels like, but it's not, I mean, I think that is okay. Cause I've done a little bit of research, but it's constant. Mm. Like I'll be talking to someone and it feel, I feel it pass and I just have to like keep a straight face. And then like 10 minutes later in the same conversation, it happens again. This is insane. Just like the, not that this is happening, that this is something that women just live with, that this is like, you're at work having a conversation. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. in the back of your head, you're like, I am passing a dollar <laughs> coin out my vagina right now. Yeah. Oh my God. No, it's really, it's hard. And I also, yeah, I mean, it all, and the problem, I mean, cause I have so much pain with penetration mm-hmm. because I can't use a tampon. I'm changing my pad every like hour. Yeah. And I work with kids who are like, their nose is right in my vagina, basically. <laughs> And like, I know that it's smell. There's just like, there's so many like oh my annoying God. things. And I'm just like, oh, this is like, I can't believe I have to like think about this right now. Yes. I don't want to. That is sort of like, I would say the female mantra. I can't believe mm-hmm. I have to think about this right now. <laughs> just story yeah. of our lives. So mm-hmm. what was the initial uh, treatment process like after you got properly diagnosed? So here is what's interesting. Um, So the treatment options that I were given were birth control, like an IUD or um, a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. And I did not want a hysterectomy. And that wasn't, I mean, the doctor floated it by as like an option, but we both sort of immediately dismissed it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I don't want to go on birth control because I did like three rounds of it in high school. And the first time I tried it, I gained 10 pounds. The second time I tried it, it made me suicidal. And the third time I tried it, I had my period for four months straight. Oh my God. So like, I don't, I am not in a place where I can just like try to like try different IUDs and see what works. And mm-hmm. I also just don't know if there's like, I'm not convinced that there's a lot of research about the effect it has on women's bodies. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just like, I'm not skeptical of, I mean, I, I don't know. I I've totally get that. Weird stories about like hormonally how it affects you later. And I just don't think people have been on it long enough for us to really understand how like 
consistently affecting your hormones or changing your hormones, like what that can do to your body. I totally get that. Like you look at the visible, tangible changes it makes immediately and you think, what is this cumulatively? I mean, it has to, it has to mean something. Totally. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Because it's only been around for 70 years now since 1950. So we don't really know that much long term. Um, And that makes sense. And hysterectomy, I mean, I know that that is something some people with endometriosis have to do. Like Lena Dunham is someone who was open about that. But that's such a drastic measure. uh, And, you know, period for four months doesn't sound so tempting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those aren't great. So, yeah. So I I was sort of like, so what they did was they prescribed me a painkiller for my cramps. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, if you can handle the heaviness of your cramps and or of your period and like the cramps are what's really bothering you, we'll give you painkillers. But the painkillers are so strong that they hurt my stomach oh, too God. much. Yeah. So I can't take the painkillers. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of, I don't really have, I kind of just like prepare for two days of agony. Cause the, so there's pain throughout the entire month that sort of comes and goes. But then the cramping lasts two to three days when I have my period. And that is really intense and mm-hmm. constant. Um, so I kind of just like take some Advil and like try to chill. Yeah. Have you ever had but to take off work for it? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Awful. Yeah. And it's pretty bad. Yeah. And that it's been going on for so long since you were 10. That's mm-hmm. insane. Um, so like day to day, do you, does it like factor in your life? I mean, you mentioned you have some pain coming and going. Like, is it something when you're not in that PMS slash period phase, like every day it's something that affects you or do you feel like it just like kind of surprises you throughout the month? Um, I, it's hard to answer because I honestly don't know if I've just gotten used to it and Mm -hmm. have sort of tuned it out, but I feel like there's always some dull pain and then occasionally it'll be really like strong and then it'll subside. So it kind of, I mean, I guess it surprises me more often than not. Um, but the, I mean, what, so what I did get treatment for was the, um, pain when I, when I'm penetrated by anything. Mm-hmm. And that's called so, dis, dis, how do you pronounce that? Dyspernia? I don't know. I think dyspernia. I'm that seems dyspernia. right. Dyspernia. I don't know. Let's say dyspernia. Let's dyspernia. call it dyspernia. Let's, Let's just do, do it. Let's just make yeah. it, make it that. Great. Um, yeah, that's called dyspernia. And that was also something that I was not diagnosed with until about a year ago, despite having like a GYN since I was 16. And every time they did a like a pap smear with like a thin Q-tip felt like I've always said it felt like it feels like someone is turning a steak knife inside of me. Oh my God. Like it's so painful Oof. and like my whole body tenses up. Oh geez. Yeah. So is so, that related to the endometriosis? So they think yes. Everyone's like, I, we don't, it's sort of like the chicken and the egg. Like, because basically what dyspernia is, is it's just, it's yeah it's pain during penetration and it usually relates to like muscular tension and like nerve inflammation Mm. um so they said that I have pelvic floor dysfunction which is just my entire pelvic floor like your pelvic floor is kind of tense or it's sort of like a loose fist 
but mine is like if you made the strongest fist you could and then like also like 10 other people like pressed on your fist uh-huh. it's just like it's like extremely tight muscle tissue yeah um so I went to this like holistic woman who literally I can like I, the email she sent me after our first appointment I I had to do like two hours worth of routines a day. Like she was like, what you need to be, because it also affects my bladder and my bowels oh, because yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. whole pelvis. So my bladder is really small and weak and like I'm, I have IBS. Oh my God. So she was like, okay, you need to drink like ionized water, like every 30 minutes. Then you need to wait an hour and pee. Then you need to like do kegels. Then you need to like eat something that will make you poop. Then you need to poop, but you can't pee when you're pooping. And then you, and it was like, and then I had to do like a whole routine at night with like, she wanted me to stick lidocaine, which is like a numbing thing that like people, it's like Novocaine, but it's a cream. I had to stick lidocaine in my vagina and like finger myself (laughs) for like 20 minutes a night. And I was like, there's no fucking way I'm doing that. Is this forever? Or is this like just for a few months and then things for a few months. Uh So what ended up, and she also, it was way too, I tried holistic because I was like, maybe she can address a bunch of different things at once, but the deductible was like insane. So I couldn't go. So then a few months later, this was in February, March of this year, I got, I was referred to a physical therapist. I literally changed my PCP and just my first appointment with my primary, my new primary care provider. I was like, I need you to write me a prescription to see a physical therapist for my vagina. Like that's why I changed doctors. Mm -hmm. And she was like, okay. (laughs) So I, I was the one who was like, I need physical therapy and no one else is going to tell me I need it. So I just need to find someone who will write me the referral. Wow. So then I had once a week, I did physical therapy where it's basically like, it's a combination of like this person. I mean, I had a woman doctor who I had to buy a dilator kit, which is basically just like different size dildos. So I had seven dilators. The smallest one was probably the size of like a ballpoint pen, like in width. And the biggest one was like definitely big definitely bigger than anything I've had up there. Uh, and she just, we just would like penetrate myself in the sessions and like move it around. And she would like press on points inside of me. It was, and it was so painful. And honestly, it did almost nothing. And I did it for six months. Oh my God. So what is this? Like, what's the deal here? It's like, does it look like a doctor's office? Does it look like, yeah, I actually did it at, so the holistic place, didn't look like a doctor's office. It kind of looked like a massage place. Uh-huh. But then there were like, you know, charts and diagrams all over the place. But I actually did it, my physical therapy at NYU. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I was going to their hospital and it was also like, it was fucking like two hours from my house. Like oh, it was God. just like, I had to arrange my entire life around getting physical therapy. Like, and she was only available in the morning. So I had to get a part-time job. It was like, wow. Nuts. And so six for six months, you did this. You did this really painful physical therapy. Yeah. And, and it didn't it really didn't do, do anything. Much. Okay. So I was supposed to do like half an hour of exercises every day, which is like 
you know, the dilator and all this stuff. But I was living in like a weird living situation and didn't really have the privacy to do that. Mm -hmm. And like, also didn't really have like the time. So I didn't follow the regimen as much as I was asked to. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, how is that realistic? To yeah, that's, someone com- to that's completely unrealistic. I've had similar things where I've like looked into ways online because it's very expensive to go back to the doctor again for what I'm dealing with. And like you look at the ways people handle their situations and you're like, how do you have the time, the resources, the privacy and the patience to do these crazy routines? Like there's so many women who say, you know what, this is the situation, but here's how I live my life. And they've completely turn their life around to go around some sort of, you know, right. uterine like sort of structure to their day. It's crazy. Yeah. The expectation. It's nuts. That's I nuts. Oh yeah. God. I can't imagine how disappointing it was if you gave that much time to it and nothing changed. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to wonder how much of it is because I mean, yeah, it's sort of a catch 22 of like, or I don't know if that's the right phrase, but you know, I was like, maybe if I had done the exercises, cause what's interesting is I was doing a set about endometriosis and I was like, who knows what endometriosis is. And there was another comedian who had done a set before me. Oh, Oh no, 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 no. She, she went up before me and she did a whole set about endometriosis and physical therapy. And then I got up and was like, oh, I was going to do that set too, but <laughs> I'm going to do a different set now. And, I was, and then after the show, I was like, what? Like, I haven't met anyone who's like done, who's, who's had this. Uh, and she was telling me about a physical therapist she went to and ended up being the same like holistic person I went to. Mm-hmm. And she said that she stuck to the regimen and she got a lot better. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. Yeah. It's just a super so, unrealistic regimen, but if you right. do it, you'll feel better. Um, for some, yeah, for some people, I think that is true. Okay. Well, that's good to know. That's very, yeah. I mean, it just sounds, it sounds like a lot. Um, yeah. and how have these things factored in your dating life? I have to know because mm-hmm. It's a lot for you so, to manage. And then I can't imagine how this would come across to, yeah, you know. It, uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it has been uh, very difficult, mm-hmm. I would say. So like in high school, there was never, there was no sex. There was no fingering. There was nothing. I just gave a lot of head. That was like yeah. my high school life. And then in college, I realized I was queer. So that sort of made things a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, I didn't really come to terms with the fact that I was queer and kept dating guys. Uh, so I had my first, like, I would say like adult relationship, like the summer after my freshman year, this is this guy I met on Tinder who does comedy, which is always a mistake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and he, uh, he, I don't know, just what we were hooking up for a little bit. And then one night he was like, uh, we were going to have sex or like, I asked if we were going to have sex or whatever. And he was like, yeah, I just have to ask, like, have you had sex before? And I was like, yes, of course I have had sex. And he was like, okay, cool. Just like wanted to know. And <laughs> we tried to have sex and it literally like his penis, like wouldn't fit inside. I was like, <laughs> we couldn't get past the entrance and he was like, what the fuck is going on? And I was like, okay, I have to be honest. Like I am a virgin. And he was like, 
oh, okay, my God. And then I was like, <laughs> oh. but I really want to have sex. Like, I just, I need to lose my virginity. So we Googled, like, what's the best way to, like, make ses- sex less painful? And it everything just said, like, get drunk. So I got, like, <laughs> so drunk. Yeah, that was, like, I, like all these forums. Oh, I no. I got really drunk, and we had sex, and which is, like, sort of, like, a gray area thing. Uh-huh. It, I don't know, but... That's how I lost my virginity. And then we only had sex two more times. And then when we went back to school, we went to different schools. We separated. But I really tried to stay with him, even Mm. though I don't think we liked each other that much. Because I was like, I can't go through this again with someone. And I've already, like, you already know the deal. Right. Uh, And he was like, I don't want to do long distance. And, like, Mm -hmm. this was kind of just a summer thing, which was extremely true. And I was like, no. Uh, and then I met my partner of the last, I've been with my partner for a little over three years now Mm -hmm. and they're non-binary trans, but, um, they have a penis. So penetrative sex has been definitely difficult Mm -hmm. for us, but they're incredibly understanding and supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and I can like communicate my needs, which is really great and important. But I feel psychologically it's taken a toll Mm. on us. And it's definitely like a conversation we've had to have a lot about like if we're both satisfied, et cetera. Um, And yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, it's it's really difficult and it's really vulnerable. And that sounds like the best you can get is just a partner who's understanding and patient Mm -hmm. and cool. But I also think there's something that you touched on, which I think is like, we have an, uh, the, the idea of like loss of virginity or being a virgin and heterosexual penetrative sex is the mm-hmm. end goal. Or like that is right. some sort of like thing, an achievement you have to unlock and, you know, yeah. it has to be part of every relationship. I feel like for women who have pain, there's the pressure to still, you know, do it even if it's painful with the right I mean the first the first like I would say a year and a half of my relationship with my partner I never said anything Mm. until I got the diagnosis and was like oh okay yeah I can like now say something and like back it up yeah I was like I my mindset was just like I have to withstand this pain and then when I when I've hooked up with people with vaginas it's a little bit different Mm -hmm. just because the penetration isn't I mean, I guess it's it's never guaranteed. There are definitely a lot of different ways to engage sexually. But in my relationships with people with penises, mm-hmm. that's always been something we've both wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so that has sort of been the the average experience. And then with women, it's or people with vaginas, it's different. Um, yeah. So that, also, that I just has- imagine people with vaginas are just like a little more understanding of the nuances because I feel like there's just so many things that women, that people with vaginas hide or don't talk about uh, to people without or that like being, you know, it's like not OK to talk about. But then I feel I would think that vagina to vagina, you could have like a bit more of an open conversation about. It, it depends. I mean, mm. honestly, there have been people who I even not, I mean, people just don't believe, like anyone cannot believe you. So mm. I, 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 I definitely think there are, I think there's the expectation that that would be the case, mm. but 
it actually, I think more comes down to just like, if someone will like believe you and just sort of take your word for it the same way, like, you know, you go to the doctor's office and you say like, Oh, I'm having cramps. And they're like, Oh, that's not real pain. Right. I mean, that is naive of me. I like really, it's true. Cause I've also had female gynecologists and female friends truly not believe uh, my pain, which I just think is like, yeah. generally people don't believe it. So yeah. that makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. It, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was certainly something that I had, I had that thought, but then even in encounters, like sexual encounters with people with vaginas, I, I, it's the same sort of nerd or like if there's a point where we do want to do something penetrative, it's the same like nervous conversation and mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's a, it's the same, it's yeah. the same deal. Yeah. So do you have like ideas longer term of how you're going to manage it or are you open to sort of seeing what <sighs> happens? Yeah. And I think I'm just going to see what happens. I mean, it's like every time, every month I get my period and I'm, and I'm in the throes of having these cramps. I'm like, someone fucking stick like a rod of copper into my uterus. I don't get, I don't care. Uh, and then once it's over, I'm like, okay, yeah. I actually don't think that's what I want. But the, I mean, what I, what I'm interested to know is if I'm infertile or not, mm-hmm. there's no indication that I am. Um, but that's like a big thing with endometriosis is like, it can definitely lead to infertility. So if I became, if I found out I was infertile, I might, I mean, I haven't looked into what a hysterectomy really does, but mm-hmm. you know, that I think I would be more open to considering that option. Mm-hmm. Um, or just sort of sucking it up. I mean, I'm also kind of hoping that in the next few years, maybe there will be more non-hormonal options Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. birth control. Because right now I think it's only the copper one. Which is really bad because I had it. And my periods were so bad. They lasted 10 days. And I mean, I'm sure every person's different and it wouldn't be for everybody. But it was like I I was lying down a lot of the time. uh, Yeah, no, I I heard it makes your pain way worse or yeah. just yeah your period and so that's you know that's not that's literally not what I need right exactly it would be like the worst thing you could possibly get but yeah yeah um and is there like a way to test for fertility now or would it have to be down the I don't line? know yeah. I was just talking to my mom about it and mm-hmm. she had no idea <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't really looked it up I kind of yeah I don't know I don't know yeah. and I, I mean it's also like I don't know if I want kids or if I do. I don't know if I want them to be <sighs> biological. Maybe I'll adopt. Like what? I, so there's just it like, fun. Just all the questions that have to factor into everything. Mm-hmm. It's just never yeah. that simple, is it? It's just always no. about everything longer term, bigger picture all the time. Yeah, constantly. It's really nice. <laughs> um, so like on that positive note, what advice would you give to someone who thinks hearing this that they may have endometriosis? I after going to like truly dozens of doctors in different states and just like really sort of head on facing the medical community in a big way, really just, I I mean, I would like go in with a list of questions I had and a list of concerns. And I would be like, I have this piece of paper and we are going to go through all of this and we're not going to rush through it. And we're going to I want you to hear me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can be hard in an office setting and like doctors, especially in New York, they want you in and out and just like, they don't, 
I don't know. I've just felt very dismissed a lot. So sometimes what I do is a lot of offices have like a, it's called my chart or like an online portal thing. So you can email your doctor and they actually sometimes prefer that. So then they don't have to call you back. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if I was scared to bring it up, like when I saw them, I would email them all the questions. So as long as, as long as you are communicating, like, look, I've done my research. These are my concerns. These are the questions I have. And what can, what are all of my options? Unfortunately, that relies on you doing the research, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like bullshit. Cause Mm -hmm. like, you know, I shouldn't have to, but that's Oh yeah. And also just the research that you can do as a non-medical professional is not always effective. And in fact, can lead you down really, yeah, scary paths. And cause I always, you know, when I have things, I always look it up and it's like, of course, the people who post are the people who have the most sort of like horrible experience and they have to post. I mean, most people are somewhere in the middle where it's like, yeah, mine's really bad. And I looked it up too, but I didn't post about it or make like a website about it. And so, yeah, you get the worst or you get just like a total misdiagnosis or whatever. But I think it's helpful to talk about it or to have conversations about it with people, you know, or like you're talking about hearing it in a comedy set, because Mm -hmm. I think that what you described is like a lot of not being believed, a lot of not knowing if you're normal. And that is a huge thing too, is just like the more it's discussed and the more it's open, then the more people can start to identify that they potentially have it. But yeah. And And also, also, oh, sorry. sorry. I was going to say the email (sighs) thing is a really good advice, a piece of advice because when you're in the doctor's office, it can be a lot of pressure to just throw all this stuff that you've been holding on to on the person. And I Mm -hmm. don't know sometimes if, I I mean, they're doing their best, but it's a lot for them to take in and like immediately make a diagnosis versus I would imagine if there's an email, they can like take a second, sit back, maybe Google it and like think Mm -hmm. about it a little bit. It's just a lot when you're in the pressure zone of like, okay, I've gone to this many people and I have these many questions and you have 50 minutes before your lunch break and I need to know. So email is a good piece of advice. And it just, it also makes me feel crazy because I have like, you know, 15 questions or thoughts and I'm like, I myself am like, no, I don't, I, this is like insane. Like I can't, you know, Yeah. it may, yeah. I mean, the other thing I was going to say is that beyond just like the physical stuff, it takes a huge toll on your mental health Mm. in so many ways. And like a big question for me has been like, it's made me question my queerness because it's also like, oh, like, have I just, am I just doing, am I just saying I'm queer because penetrative sex is painful? Mm. And like, that is, but, but that's not true. Like, Mm -hmm. I know that that's not true. And that's like, you can't like will yourself to be queer. Right. So, but, but how, like, I'm constantly battling with myself and like questioning my identity and also just makes you question like relationships and if you're satisfying your partner and if they're not saying everything because they don't want to hurt your feelings and blah, 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 blah. And also a lot of people are like pain during sex is very psychological because if you know it's going to be painful, your muscles will tense up and then it's just sort of this feedback loop of pain from your brain to your body and back. Which is so tough because then that adds another burden of, okay, well then you relax and you need to not think about it. And then Mm -hmm. that just is more stress. So it's like, you can't win. I think all those things, I mean, it just sounds so tough. It's like, and I, I think a lot of it is based on just these like ideas of what, uh, 
you know, person with a uterus is like supposed to be and what's normal and all these things. And I, from what I understand, endometriosis is very common and very often, uh, not diagnosed properly. Mm -hmm. So probably way more common than we know. Yeah. And so I do think like there's tons of people who can probably relate to what you're talking about and are grateful to hear you voice their own experience too. I hope so. Yeah. I I mean, I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know about it until my GI Mm -hmm. mentioned it. And that's, I mean, I've been going to gynecologists at that point. I've been seeing one very regularly for six years and it was never mentioned. That's crazy. That's truly crazy. And it was some like bougie office in the West Village because like my insurance took it and my mom had gone there for like 30 years. Yeah. And it's like, how are these women who are serving like probably for the most part, like some of the wealthiest people in Mm -hmm. New York City, not like how, how, because I mean, that just means that like the med, I mean, the medical system is flawed for so many reasons, Mm -hmm. but like even the people like white, rich white women are not getting like a certain diagnosis. Right. I mean, it's just like, then what does that mean for people who don't have right access to anything access. like that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's truly yeah. crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I, yeah. and then yeah. talking about, even if you do have access, all the ways to treat it are so difficult and require a certain level of privilege to be able to execute. So yeah. It's yeah. just really frustrating to hear that this is the that this is so common and yet and throughout history has been so common and yet so properly treated. Mm-hmm. So if anyone listening is like an awesome gynecologist who can like help everyone, um, now's your time. I don't know. I really I do think there's like a huge gap in uh, just like even mainstream media of like an awesome gynecologist who can just explain this stuff and help people oh, on a broad scale. It just feels like very exclusive to get good care. And even if you do, it's yeah. not reliable. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd love to end on a positive note. <laughs> but if there are people listening who have found ways to manage their endometriosis and they want to weigh in, we would love to hear from you or people who have other yes. experiences that this is brought up for them or stories about that. Or if you're dating someone with endometriosis and you want to say you're sorry for how you've acted, like that's cool too. Um, but <laughs> Rachel, I have a good note to end oh, on. Oh, please, please. Oh my God, please. It's sort of just like a, I think it, it'll really bring it all together. Thank you so much. So <laughs> when I did my intake at NYU for the, um, for the physical therapy, I, met I mean the the that wing of like um physical therapists for like vaginal pain are all women Mm -hmm. uh and I always have to use a ton of lube anytime there's like penetration so this woman like you know took me inside I had to undress and she had to assess my vagina by like sticking her finger in and moving it around and seeing how the muscles were tense and whatever and I like winced at one point because it hurt. And she was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I forgot to put lube in. Mm. And I was like, but I <laughs> thought this woman was very hot and was just like <laughs> wet. I was wet. I was, was going to ask that. That's like part of it, right? It's like 
how usually unsexual all this fingering is. Like you're getting dildos and fingers in there and it's like, this isn't sexual, but hey. (laughs) It was, and it was the first time that I had done it. So I think that's why I was particularly vulnerable because obviously that's a, a, could be a hot fantasy, whatever. And I was like, oh no, no, like I'm lubed up. And she was like, I didn't put, it was like this awkward. I feel like that's a horrible porn where it's like, Oh, I'm lubed up. Okay, well, we still have to treat your endometriosis and scene like nothing happens. <laughs> oh my god, that's huh? crazy! Wow. Yeah, that was, uh, and then for some reason they switched my doctor. Don't I mean oh. maybe she made the request? Maybe she was I feeling understand. something too. You never know. Yeah. You never know. What a misconnection. A misconnection. Oh my god, <laughs> I love it. Um, Rachel, if people want to find you and reach out to you and talk to you about this is there a great way to reach out to you online on social media yes here's what i'll say please three there are three ways one i have a website rachelcolly.com mm-hmm. it's just my name then my twitter is rachel underscore collie there's this woman who has the full rachel collie and she's just whatever it's whatever yeah. i'm pissed that she has it then um my instagram is rachel dot calling and I will I'm on all of them constantly and would talk to anyone about it anytime that's so wonderful thank you so much for doing this and listeners I really hope uh again like if any of this is stuff you want to bring up on the pod if you want to leave a voicemail we have a hotline 1-844-STOLARX s-t-o-l-a-r-x we want to hear about your experience we want your questions If you do have questions for a doctor, I do have access to them and they can Google the answer for you. Um, I hope that's tempting. (laughs) But mostly, yeah, I just I hope that this opens up conversation and that um, if you have a story, if you have a question that you will reach out, we would love to hear from you. So thank you again, Rachel. Yes, thank you. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.